All right, we are live, live on air, RTD Live Talk Late Night Edition, relatively late, and so excited to be back with you this evening for some live streaming, so excited to have a guest, first, or second time guest, first time live chat, and so uh, before we get to that screen there, I want to acknowledge a couple people for taking the time to join us this evening, and then we'll get into it, and as always, it's all about participation. The goal is to bring you some of the top guests so that you can ask questions and get everything answered, and let's strategize based upon what's going on around us. So we got uh, Chris, we got Shane, Excalibur, T-Cash, uh, we got Vara, we got Luis, the Silverback, Stacker, Kenneth, New York Redneck, Gary D. Okay, so we got enough people here, so I'm about to pull up the screen right now, and so on the screen is Mr. George Gammon. And so, George Gammon, welcome to RT Live Talk as a guest, my friend. How you doing? I'm doing well, Mike. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Looking forward to chatting and answering some questions on macro. Yes, definitely, definitely. So with that being the case, everybody, uh, we're going to just tip it off. And so the primary subject matter is the fact that I did a video earlier, by the way, George, about highlighting some of the recent comments from Mark Kearney. Uh, Christine Lagarde, as well as one of the Fed governors that all chimed in on the current state of the economy. So one said it's weak, one said it's sluggish, the other one said it's doing fine. So I'm like, okay, they're not on the same page. So uh, let's get this thing started off right. In your personal opinion, we're in 2020 now, nine days into 2020. What's the current state of our economy? Are we in a recession or we got some time or what? What are your thoughts? Well, I think it really depends on how you define what a recession is. Mm -hmm. So I think most people would define a recession as negative GDP growth. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the actual rate of inflation, I would argue that currently we do have negative GDP growth because if you look at nominal growth and then you subtract out the CPI or whatever government measurement that they use, that's what get that's what takes us, let's say from 4% nominal down to 2% real. So they say, okay, well, our, our GDP is positive 2%. But if inflation is actually 6% or 8%, mm -hmm. then that would take it into negative territory. Yeah. In addition to that, we've if you look at the actual deficit, the trillion dollar deficits that the United States is running right now, mm -hmm and you subtract that out of the GDP, mm -hmm. there would also be negative, and that's using their CPI number. Mm -hmm. So using their inflation number, even when you subtract out the money that we're borrowing to spend, it takes us into negative territory. So technically, by the definition and the numbers that the government gives us, no, we are not in a recession. But if you look at it in, in if you look at it in terms of what I think is reality, mm -hmm. then I would argue that we are now. So how do you get the unemployment rate down so low? Well, number one, that's a lagging indicator. Mm -hmm. And number two, the labor force participation rate is extremely low. So that that's another number that they can kind of tweak and mess with to give the optics of the economy being a lot better than it is. But I do have a, a counterbalance to that. I saw an interview with Stan Druckenmiller the other day who I have just an immense amount of respect for and he's positioned for us not to go into a recession in 2020 although he's got the same fundamental outlook on the economy that most of us do surprisingly enough because you think he's very mainstream but if you look at the 
the attitudes or the opinions on the economy from people who are technically mainstream, like a Druckenmiller or a Gunlock or, uh, of course, Peter Schiff. But even those guys that you see on CNBC all the time, uh, they're surprisingly uh, bearish on the actual fundamentals. But that doesn't mean that they don't think the stock market will continue to go up just because the Fed is providing all of this liquidity. So Druckenmiller's point is that in his career, which has spanned decades, he's never seen the United States go into a recession when the Fed is in easing mode. In other words, lowering interest rates. He's mm -hmm. only seen a recession come uh, about when the Fed is increasing interest rates. So that really got me thinking. And I went back and looked at my charts. And sure enough, it, it's it's 100%. The, the Fed is always raising rates. Mm -hmm. So I kind of... <clears throat> You know, again, I, I don't think that we will. Well, let me put it to you this way. I don't think that the stock market will go down until the Fed starts raising rates. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't be in a recession or the economy isn't very good or nowhere near as good as Donald Trump likes to say that it is. But as far as the stock market going down, based on the charts I saw, uh, Druckenmiller was right on the money. Yeah. And, and based upon the all the issues we're having right now with the whole possibilities of war missiles in the air and all the things that typically are red flags that causes the markets to usually correct or take a little dip. The stock market reached an all time high today. The Dow rate reached an all time high today, which to me tells me the fundamentals are out the door. Everything is upside down. We're in a, we're in a very false fake reality that's based upon central bank policy. And so, the stock market can literally continue to keep climbing to numbers that we they'll continue to create all time new highs because if it doesn't, then that's game over. So like everybody based the the health of the economy based upon the stock markets anyway. So the moment it, there is a correction, there will be a problem. Now, do you think the the since this business cycle of correction or of boom bust correction that that thing that has been extended to where we've been in a how high have this expansion gone to the point where? The moment it does correct, how far down would that correction be, in your opinion? It's going to be extremely severe. If, if you look at the, the charts again, you'll see that just going back to this last downward cycle in mm -hmm. interest rates, so that would be going back to 1981, mm -hmm. and you'll notice that the severity of the recession that we have mm -hmm. going you know, from 1981 to the last recession in call it 2009, it, it, the, the severity of the recession continues to increase. Mm -hmm. So why is that? Well, in my opinion, it's for a couple reasons. Number one, the debt continues to expand. Mm -hmm. So when you have a recession, it's going to make the real economy have go into a period of, of more and more pain because the real economy it becomes increasingly dependent upon the financial assets and dependent upon low interest rates and excess debt. Mm -hmm. And when I talk about debt, I'm not just talking about the government. I'm talking about the federal government. I'm talking about the state governments. I'm talking about now corporate debt mm -hmm. is at all-time highs and consumer debt is at all-time highs when you include mortgages. So the, the whole, the, there's, not, there's not a balance sheet that exists in the United States that's clean. 
so as a, and you can compare that just to your own uh, your own household finances, and that if if you're making fifty thousand dollars a year, and you've got let's say a hundred thousand dollars in debt, so your your payments, let's just say eight hundred dollars a month with interest rates at five uh, percent, right? Your interest rates are at five percent. Well, if the, your interest rate goes up to ten percent, you're you're probably going to be able to weather that storm. You're you're going to have to tighten your belt, but you're probably going to make ends meet. But if you've got a million dollars worth of debt, and interest rates go up to ten percent, now you got problems. Mm-hmm. You got real, real big problems. And so, just taking it down to its simplest form, I think that's why the recessions have continually gotten bigger. And I think this next recession it, or depression is going to be the worst of all. Now, whether that's going to be a deflationary type of depression or an inflationary type of depression, which I think is very interesting to think about because people think of a depression and they associate it with falling prices. But you can actually have a severe uh, depression with inflation. It, it's just because everything is nominal prices are going up so fast. They're going up faster than everything else. And my buddy Eric Townsend with Macro Voices thinks that we're going into an inflationary depression. He calls it the inflationary greater depression because he thinks it'll actually be more severe than the Great Depression in the 1930s. But again, instead of having that price deflation, it'll be with price inflation. So basically hyperinflation. In a sense, uh, yeah. So, ba- yeah. so ba- in a sense, hyperinflation, and so it won't be just it won't just be limited to certain to, to certain sectors or categories. You're saying that the price of your everyday goods and services, a so right now, okay, so the, the stock market would be in a an inflation right now. It's well overvalued. We have uh, what else? Uh, student loan. All those area, every all those areas that are at all time highs in a sense are pretty much inflated. Now we're just waiting on the consumer goods, like your everyday usage of gas and food and stuff like that. When that becomes a clear sign that prices are too high, then that's the big greater depression that you're referring to. Uh, well, let me unpack it a little bit further. Okay, just give, because I know it's kind of hard to put those pieces of the puzzle together. But if you've got prices, Mm -hmm. consumer prices, going up faster than your pay, Mm -hmm. than your wages, and or faster than asset prices, then you're in a depression. Because, again, in real terms, when you look at the nominal growth, let's say nominal growth, GDP is 20%. Mm -hmm. But let's say that uh, we're at, uh, you know, the inflation rate is 30%. Well, now we're at negative 10% real growth, but yet we have all this inflation. So that would be an example of of an inflationary depression. And Venezuela is a perfect example of that. Their their nominal GDP growth is going through the roof. Looks like they're doing the fastest (laughs) growing company in the history of the world, right? I hear hear their stock market is doing really well, (laughs) price-wise. It's just completely plummeting. Yeah. because of of the discrepancy there. So would they be in a technical depression? Absolutely. A huge, massive depression. But it's just an inflationary one. Mm. 
Interesting. So let's check in with the chat. So we had a couple calls while you're talking, so I ignore those. So if you guys have any thoughts or questions you want to ask, feel free to call back in and we'll go from there. And so it uh, looks like there's a question here. It says uh, people or a comment or thought. It says people keep looking at the economy as one thing, separate the rich from the poor, stocks from the healthcare costs, and the picture becomes much more clear. So right. that's a, a thought from uh, Mr. Uh, Spirit King. So we do have a call and I'll answer this call and we'll see what the thoughts are. Hello, caller. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hello? Hello? Hi there. What's your name? Where are you calling Hello? from? Hey. Hey, this is Matt from Nashville. Matt from Nashville. How you doing, Matt? What's on your mind or what's your thoughts or question for Mr. Gammon? Hey, George. Um, I listened to a video of yours about real estate a while back, and I don't know exactly because I went on a binge of yours. I just started watching everything. <laughs> I put you in my coveralls at work, and while I'm on roost and stuff, I just got you playing. Um, so I don't know how long ago it was, but you mentioned Nashville being a hot market. And then I also know that you talk, you go on a street-by-street -street basis. So I was curious, do you have a street pick for Nashville? A street pick for Nashville. Okay, is that your only question? That's it. All right, so I'll let him answer so you can hear it off air, and then we'll get to that. I appreciate the call, my friend. Thank you. Yeah, thank you guys for doing this. Y'all yeah. have a good night. All right, Mr. Gammon, any any hot picks in Nashville? <laughs> no, I think what he's referring to is a video that I did on real estate investing. Mm -hmm. And I was talking about when I first got involved with real estate investing in 2012, one of the markets that I was very interested in was Nashville. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a fantastic market. It's very limited. I won't go into great detail. But, uh, but what ended up happening is I was considering Nashville, a few other places, but also Kansas City. And I ended up focusing all my attention into Kansas City. So I was never able to go out to Nashville and, and check it out. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, so unfortunately, I don't have any, any street-by-street -street pick for them. I apologize. <laughs> but stick with those linear markets. Those linear markets in the South and the Midwest, if you're thinking about investing in real estate, or if you've got a, lo a lot of equity built up in one of these cyclical markets, which I think are in a bubble, the L.A., San Francisco, Seattle, Oregon, or Portland, Oregon, you know, consider taking that equity out and maybe looking at a, a linear market to uh, where that equity has a lot less downside and you can get a lot more cash flow. Mm, interesting. Interesting. And so uh, it says, question, do you, do you see the markets going down after January 15th, as on January 14th, the Fed is pulling out 85 billion out of the repo and people will realize phase one of the trade deal is pretty bad. So do you see the markets going down after January 15th due to the repo market and assuming a failure of a trade deal? Because I don't think the trade deal is going through, but what are your thoughts on yeah. that? Well, there's a lot of moving parts there. Yeah. I would say if that happens and the, the Fed pulls out the liquidity, there's an issue with the, the trade deal. Kind of we see the emperor has no clothes. You could definitely see a short term drop in the market. But I think it would just be short term because I think the Fed would come right in with more liquidity and just give it another shot of, of heroin mm. to get that market going right back up where they want it. Uh, to be clear, at some point, that's not going to work. And, and when they get to that point, I don't know. It could be tomorrow. It could be in 10 years. But when it happens and, and the Fed finds their kryptonite 
which I think eventually will be a inflation. Because if you think about their only tool, uh, they, or their only quote unquote cure, it, you know, it's like a they're like a bull in a china shop with a hammer, mm-hmm. and and they're the only uh, thing that they see are, are nails. Everything's a nail. <laughs> so if if there's a problem, I mean, think about this. If you look at like a congressional hearing, and of course all these knucklehead politicians are doing all this grandstanding, One but second. they're talking to the Fed about, well, how are you going to solve climate change? What? What does, that have, what does that have to do with central bank monetary policy? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Right. Or how are you going to solve inequality? Or how are you going to solve the pay gap between women and men? It's like, what are you talking about, right? So, But, but my point is that if the Fed took that on as a mandate, okay, well, how would they do that? Well, just how are you going to decrease inequality? Oh, drop interest rates. Well, how are you, how are you going to cure uh, climate change? Oh, print money. Yeah. How are you going to do it? Drop interest rates. Print money. Drop. That, that's their only, their only tool. Mm-hmm. So, so if we get something like inflation that would take away that tool, what are they going to do? And that, to me, is is really the end game. Yeah, end game. The moment they stop uh, increasing reserves. So we have a call real quick. Um, sure. Hello, caller. What's your name? Where you calling from? Hey, yeah, my name is Dan. I'm calling from Vancouver, Washington, which is just outside Portland, Oregon. All right, yeah, Dan. How you doing? <laughs> that's, what Good. Just, that's where you grew up uh, at. What's your thought or question? It's a pleasure to talk to both of you guys. Uh, I really appreciate both your channels, so thanks for having me on. Uh, my question is, kind of maybe for both of you, but I think a lot of people who listen to these channels are probably average Joes like me. I'm a service tech in the air conditioning and heating and refrigeration world. I make a pretty average salary. I got a wife and kids, a mortgage, and some student loan debt. And, uh, you know, I'm always wondering, listening to these shows and these conversations, if, you know, if we have like an inflationary situation, you know, then then, uh, the... devaluing of the dollar is a direct transfer of wealth to me, you know, having a mortgage and, but, you know, carrying a debt burden at the same time, I'm always weighing, you know, is it better to maybe have a position in physical precious metals and gather that insurance before you kind of attack your debt? Or is it better to just hammer your debt out first, the Dave Ramsey way, and then kind of make your investments? And when we're on like a kind of a time frame, there's a sense of urgency almost feeling, you know, but you never know what's going to happen. I know that's Maybe a lot, little, little messy of a question, but maybe you guys can just talk about it. <laughs> All right, sounds good. I appreciate the call. We'll answer that off air, my friend. Thank you. Thanks. All right, be good. All right, Mister Gavin, go ahead and share your thoughts. I, I want to share my two cents on that one too. Go ahead. <laughs> I think that. <clears throat> excuse me. I think the easiest thing that the quote unquote average <clears throat> joke can do is just make sure that his mortgage is a fixed rate thirty year uh, loan. So if we do get inflation, that he's going to be the beneficiary of that. And how that works is that the, if the rate of inflation exceeds your interest rate, then that is a transfer of wealth from the lender to the borrower, like the gentleman was saying. So that's the first thing that you can do. That's something easy. Everyone can do it. No problem. Just make sure you don't have an adjustable rate mortgage. Number two is to own some precious metals as as an insurance policy. I did a video today and I, I quite frankly was shocked that, that I didn't even realize this where uh, at the end of the video, I, I did an anal- a just very quick analysis of the gold price relative to the silver price. 
and and how that ratios kind of trend throughout history and, and where it's been at the top of the market in 2011 and where it was at the bottom of the market in 2000. And right now that that silver ratio or silver is extremely cheap mm-hmm. compared to gold. When you look at that ratio going back for the last 30 years is the chart that I had. So you know, an average person can definitely own a little bit of silver. If you can afford to own some gold, I think that's fantastic. Uh, I personally, and I, I can't give individual advice, of course, or investment advice. I just tell you guys what I do and what I suggest to my family members. Mm-hmm. And that is to uh, have maybe 5 10% in gold. So if we do get uh, big inflation or if we do get a lot of deflation, regardless of what happens, you're most likely going to increase or at least maintain your purchasing power with uh, with gold or precious metals, uh, assuming that it, it gets it gets pretty darn bad because gold and and most of the time precious metals, including silver, are really the inverse of everyone's confidence in not only the system but central banks. Yeah. So. One, it's not really the inverse of relate of uh, excuse me inflation. Part of my video today, as I was analyzing different assets and how they've reacted when we go into war, mm-hmm. just because of this whole thing that's going on with Iran. So that was actually something that I wanted to discover, mm-hmm. and I thought that that gold would really spike, and it it didn't spike that much. It, it went up a bit. But it, and this is back in the Iraq War and the Gulf War, but it didn't go up massively. But uh, nor did oil. So it's it's kind of like a, a buy the rumor, uh, sell the the fact type thing. Where it, it, if there's if there's talk of a war, then these prices really go up out of fear. But then once the war starts, and it, it's kind of people just get used to it. I guess. I mean, it's sad to say that, but then the price kind of goes back down to where it was before. But Again, my, my whole point is that that's something, those two things are something that I would suggest that the average Joe does. And you've got very little downside with that. And then as far, and I, I don't know if I want to even suggest this, but let, let's put it this way. If it were me, if it were me, and, and please don't get me wrong, guys, please don't get me wrong. But if it were me, I would definitely not pay off those student loans mm-hmm. because Number one, I mean, you can get a really, really low rate on that. I would assume that you can fix that rate. And listen, 2021 comes around. You don't know if they're going to knock that stuff out. So and I I hate to even I mean, it's not morally correct, I know. But if if they're going to do it and you're going to have to absorb the cost anyway, because it's going to fall on the taxpayer. Yeah. So you, you might as well take advantage of it. So I just make the minimum payments mm-hmm. until that time. And then if, if it doesn't pan out, then it doesn't pan out. Then you go back to maybe making higher payments. But if you're confident in your income stream, so if you're confident in your job, if it's pretty recession-proof, then I, I, would, uh, I would refrain from paying off any 30-year fixed-rate debt. Now, of course, your credit cards – and, and that you pay off as fast as you can mm-hmm. because that's not making you any money. It's not building you any equity. That's just dragging you down. But but a, a mortgage payment, especially if it's on a cash flow rental property, that's a lot different than credit card debt. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I, I, you know, I'll t- chime in. We missed a call, but I'll call back in a minute. But uh, one thing I think about is that we are we are completely in a new 
we're in we're in a new paradigm that started after the last great financial crisis. So the everything everything that was considered normal financial advice to me personally prior to the great Re- great recession pretty much went out the window the moment the interest rates dropped and it became beneficial or became a an advantage for debtors because a lot of people who understand the process of debt t- have taken advantage of it whereas in everybody who does the what I consider the Dave Ramsey seven baby step plans yeah. outside yeah. of one and two having your emergency fund paying off your obviously paying off your consumer debt from your your credit cards and things that are relatively small sure but any large debts like you mentioned about student loans mortgages i think that's that's basically pouring pouring some of that pouring some of your extra disposable income down a drain that you may not necessarily reap the benefit of down the line and so yeah. i personally am finding new ways of creating income streams to take that change and buy things that i believe will appreciate over time so um, and then in reference to the whole job concept, I'm of the mindset that starting this year, especially, there will be no real job that's depression proof because all jobs are in there. All, all the doors are open. All services are rendered to make a profit. But yet if trade stops, credit freezes, everything runs on credit. And so that means that there's going to be a lot of upset, broken promises coming. And I wouldn't even depend upon a job. So I'm really encouraging people to go beyond that and really focus on creating unique ways of adding value to, that, that makes you less dependent upon other people. So yeah, yeah, that's kind of where I met these days. So I missed a couple of calls. I, I couldn't agree more, Mike. Yeah. And I could expand on that if you'd like me to, but I think you're right on the money. We got a call. Let's take that and then definitely feel free to add on to it. Hello caller. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hello. Hey there. How you doing? What's your name? Where are you calling from? This is James. It's James from Cleveland, buddy. Jay from Cleveland. How you doing, my friend? I, I talked to Good, good. I talked to you the other night. Hey, yeah, uh, it's good seeing you two uh, doing a podcast. Yeah, it's definitely big it's fun. Big fan, big fan. What, what's your thought? What's your question but, uh, this evening? Hey, I'm sorry, but uh, I had a question for George. Okay, go ahead. Okay, if you had some money and you wanted to get into real estate, would you pay your personal house off and then buy a piece of real estate property? Or would you save the cash that you have and buy the piece of real estate property and keep your house? You know what I mean? The payment on your house. Yeah. Great question. Is that, is that the only question you have? Can you ask him? Well, can you ask wanted, him where his house is? I wanted to clarify something up. Okay. Could you asked me about Trump the other night. All right. One, one second. And one second. Hold on. One second. I'm a gun shy because, you know, calling into this. Okay. But before you before you ask that question, uh, George is curious as to what area what 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 area you referring to as far as the house you're you're currently referring to. Yeah, I, I'm right here. Uh, it'd be a little bit east of Cleveland. A little bit east of Cleveland. Okay. Okay. Go ahead and ask so, that second question. I don't question. know if you've ever heard of Menor area or Chardon or Kirtland. No, Cle- Cleveland's what I need to know. Cleveland. Okay, so go go ahead with that second question. What's that? Go ahead with that second question. Oh, the other one was, you asked me about Trump and what I thought about him mm-hmm. is, you know, I think he's kind of a cartoon character, but I'm kind of on the same aspect as you. I believe in God. Mm-hmm. I think God puts people in places mm-hmm. and think about it. I mean, he put a narcissistic person to call these people what they are. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so definitely, I do believe God puts everything. Everything is everything is uniquely paced and, str- and strategically in order according to what His plan is. Problem is, we don't know directly what it is until it unfolds, and then we pass our own judgments upon it. But it's one of the things where 
you know, everything ultimately works out eventually. It's just that it may not be what we want, which is the discomfortable part because, you know, you know, people voted him in for one thing. To me, he's basically done a complete opposite of everything he ran on. So is he lying? Is he telling the truth? Or did he just whatever? Oh, so I, it's, I think he's lying. I think, he, I, I mean, me, per, I think he's a con artist, you know? I, I, yeah, I couldn't question. I couldn't question a man's faith, but yet in the end, we'll find out. It's usually after we look back, you know, in history, we'll see. Oh yeah, yeah. we'll see how things played out. So, um, but yet, yeah. it's still early because he's going for second term, and I believe if he gets his second term, watch out because we're gonna really find out what he's made of. <laughs> oh no, you're. <laughs> I didn't. You know what? Yeah, since you brought that up, I didn't even think about that. You're you're 100 right. He can pull a 180 real quick. Exactly. So, hey, I appreciate the call, though. Let me get. We'll, we'll have George touch on our first call and just uh, listen in all, all online. Thank you. All right. You two take care, bud. All right. Be good. Thanks. All right, Mr. George. You remember that first question? Yeah. He just has some equity in his in his residence. Mm-hmm. And wondering if he should uh, just kind of what he should do as far as a game plan if he wants to get involved with some cash flow rental properties. Mm-hmm. So. I think what I would do is, especially if he's got a 30-year fixed rate on his residence, I don't see any reason to pay that off. Uh, I, I think that your home is potentially a liability. It's it's not really making you any money. Mm-hmm. If it's in um, a linear market, which Cleveland is, I, I wouldn't suggest running for the hills like I would if you if you owned that house in uh, Los Angeles. It would be a completely different mindset. But I would take that money and just buy one. Don't don't try to go nuts. And the neat thing about Cleveland is because it is a linear market, you can probably find a rental property in there in a really good neighborhood that's got fantastic uh, fantastic school district with a one percent RV ratio. And so, for if, if your viewers aren't familiar with that terminology, that just means that you're getting one percent a month in rent per your cost basis. So if you pay $100,000 for the rental property and you're getting $1,000 a month in rent, that is a 1% RV ratio. That's kind of the magic number. Obviously, you'd like it to to be more than that. But uh, if you can find that and then kind of do maybe a a 50% LTV, 60% LTV, something that's extremely conservative, so you're going to have plenty of positive cash flow. And again, you got to go into a good neighborhood. You can't go into the ghetto just because you're getting a 2% RV ratio and think that you're going to do well. That, that's a recipe for disaster. But uh, again, the, the neat thing about his situation is he's actually in a market where the RV ratios are pretty good. So he wouldn't have to go to an alternate, a, a different city to find a good rental property. He can do it right in his own backyard. Yeah. So we have another call. Hello, caller. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, how you doing? This is Alex. I'm calling from New York. Alex from New York. How you doing, my friend? What's on your mind tonight? I'm good. You know, I love the show, man. I call Thank you, sir. I, I do have a question for you guys. How does the average guy uh, turn his once the recession hits and becomes one of those who are able to uh, make something better for himself during that time of recession? Because we all know, you know, on one end is somebody getting richer, the other is getting extracted from them. How do we as the average build, average working guy, become one of those people who benefit from the recession and are not looking under and just overwhelmed by Great question there. George, you hear that? Kind of, it was, it was the audio wasn't too good there. So what he's saying is, how does the average Joe, uh, someone 
that knows things are changing, knowing a recession is coming, depression is coming, how does a person through that maintain himself and probably come out a little bit better on the other end? Mm-hmm. So, so I think it goes back to what we were saying with the with the gentleman from uh, from Vancouver, Washington. Yeah. And that uh, you just start with the basics, which is that 30-year mortgage fixed rate, and then have some precious metals. Mm-hmm. And then going to your point, really just work on yourself. I think you and I are a great example of that. I mean, mm-hmm. I just uh, started YouTube maybe uh, four or five months ago, mm-hmm. something like that. And I, But to be fair, I mean, I obsessed <laughs> over I – mean, some people say they have a passion that – Macro for me was not or is not uh, a passion. It's a it's a total obsession. I mean, anytime you see me when I'm outside of my apartment, if I'm at the gym tonight on the treadmill, I've got the ear pods in and I'm I'm listening to the macro voices. It's a real vision, or I'm listening to a an interview with uh, with Jeff Snyder or or uh, Luke Groman, something like that. I'm just absorbing all. I'm on a plane. It doesn't matter where I am. I'm just constantly absorbing. I've been doing that since 2012. Mm-hmm. So for me, I, I had this, uh, I guess, knowledge base, if you want to call it that. And I just started the YouTube channel, and um, it it did well. And now the the really cool thing is I'm able to interview people like the guys that I listened to on Macro Voices. The other day, I, I interviewed Brent Johnson, who it was, a, it was an honor. It yeah. really was for me to interview someone like that. And we'll have the full interview out uh, this Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. But it's just really neat. My point is that now with the internet, with YouTube being the second largest search engine, with the scale of Google, with, with Facebook, and I know that, that these companies have their problems. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not saying they're they're saints, uh, but there is so much opportunity out there for you to take whatever skill you have and, and, and leverage that to help other people and to potentially bring uh, in some income that would buffer any type of downturn if we have a, a really bad recession. I mean, let's take the one caller as an example. I think the gentleman said he was in air conditioning or mm-hmm. he was in uh, H- HVAC. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, one of the the YouTube channels I I watch frequently just to get tips on what I can do better, they had a a case study of a guy who has just completely blown up on YouTube. I mean, you know, he got 100,000 subscribers in a month. I mean, he's just going nuts. And he's just an eye doctor. And what he does is he just does videos on uh, how you can diagnose a problem that you have with your eyes and tips on how to get gl- uh, buy better glasses or contact lenses or LASIK surgery. And, and he's adding all of this value and he's just, he's just uh, blown up on YouTube. Mm-hmm. But see, this gentleman, he's an HVAC tech. He could do the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you're blue collar. It just uh, Another example that I'll use is a, a gal that I saw – uh, again, on, on one of these uh, YouTube uh, pro channels, and they're using her as an example. She's got like 3 million, 3 million subscribers, and she just started her YouTube channel like six months ago. And she's this elderly Hispanic lady. She lives in Mexico, doesn't speak a word of English. She lives out in the sticks in the middle of nowhere, but she has a cooking channel on how to cook authentic Mexican food. That's and it, it, so, yeah, so if you want authentic enchiladas or burritos or fajitas, 
you know exactly where to go. Well, just through AdSense alone, mm-hmm. she's probably making a hundred thousand plus easy. Oh yeah, easy. I mean she's probably making twenty, thirty grand a month. Yeah, on how many? Because she's getting six, seven million views mm-hmm. a month. Now, so now, Austin, yeah. I, I saw a couple of videos from people who have a million subscriber type of thing, and they were showing their numbers. And the click per minute rate and things out of the nature, just because it's high views, don't guarantee. Because you, I mean, because YouTube has really curtailed and cut back on giving top dollar to people who get those type of views. But you still get something nice, though. So you still get something nice. But I, Listen, you know, yeah. you live in the middle of the sticks in Mexico. <laughs> yeah, it's still good. <laughs> so nineteen to the dollar. Yeah, and you're getting that ad revenue in dollars. She's she's living the high life right there. Let me let me tell you what. But <laughs> but the point I think the takeaway for the viewers is that there's a there there are a lot of negative things going on in the overall economy. But that doesn't mean that in your personal life that you can't do things to improve your lot. And there's so much more opportunity out there to do so, even if the world around you is kind of. Uh, precarious to say the least yeah yeah and i agree just chime in on that a little bit so one thing that has me excited is you know the new channel i just started giftpreneurs where i'm really touching on this i'm, I'm really my true passion come to find out is me sharing my faith about things that i believe will impact the world and it has to do with employment i think employment and retirement are the biggest hoax that we've come across this century and it's already changed but most people don't know about it so to just add to what you mentioned like you can go out and get some additional skills which will increase your revenue, but ultimately your skill is in competition with a lot of other people as well. So unless you, you know, are, are strategically positioning that skill uh, and using that skill, it, it'll, be, it'll be best in your best interest, I believe personally, to focus on more around the line of what what are you gifted at? What were you born with that only you can uniquely provide? That to me personally is recession proof. Like a skill can get fired, you can get fired from your job, but you can't get fired from what you were born to do and what you were born with. And I think the more like, there's a lot of people out there that are extremely gifted at certain things that no matter what money's going to come to them, regardless of what the economy is doing. So I, I'm really try, excited to really encourage people just to look beyond a job, look beyond a skill because skills can get fired at any time. So um, but yet yeah, that goes a lot to the spiritual essence of things that I'm, I'm really excited about sharing. So I just missed a call. So forgive me. But uh, Mr. George, I have a question for you from yeah. Lawrence. It says, question, what would happen to gold ETFs such as IAU and GLD in the case that the government would start confiscating gold? Yeah, I don't think that, that your worry with a gold ETF is the government. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think it's the guys who have your gold. Yeah, or, yeah. or say they have your gold, yeah. Yeah, I, I would strongly suggest that this gentleman go to my channel when he gets a little bit of time and watch that video that I did. I think the thumbnail is gold versus GLD. Mm-hmm. And you'll you'll find that HSBC is the, the entity that's put in charge of that gold. And w- when you do a deep dive on that, I, I would be surprised if, if you want to continue down that path. And I'm assuming that you're asking that question because that's the only opportunity you may have to invest in gold, be it maybe in a 401k or an IRA or something like that. But uh, I, I would really shy away. If you're going to try to buy paper gold um, and you want to you know, you go long, I would suggest looking at the miners Mm-hmm. instead of an ETF because then you actually own equity you own there there's 
there's not all these parties involved that you have to rely on mm -hmm. to make sure that um, you're actually getting what you think you're purchasing. Yeah. It, it's it's there still is obviously counterparty risk there, but I'd much prefer to have my counterparty uh, mm -hmm. Barrick Gold than HSBC. Yeah. Okay. Good thought there. And so as always. There and there's a programs. Uh, Mr. Will Lear from Perpetual Assets allow people to take possession of their retirement vehicle uh, portfolios directly through certain vehicles that they strategically do. So I encourage you. There's ways of getting possession of whatever it is you want and go. So everybody can afford it. So uh, but we have a call here, and so I've, uh, let me get this right here. And so we go a couple more minutes, George, and we dial back. Hello, caller. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, how you doing? My name is Nadia, and I'm calling from Houston, Texas. Nadia from Houston, Texas. How you doing this evening? What's your What's your thoughts or questions, or what do you got for us? Um, first, I really enjoy your content. Love the uh, channel. Thank you, sir. Thank you, man. But the question that um I have for both of you, gentlemen, I'm definitely concerned about the recession and doing my best to, I guess, quote unquote protect myself, make myself recession-proof. I'm just wondering what investments make the most sense to focus on. Are something like index funds a smart option to invest in during the recession? I don't know if you gentlemen have heard of the people within the, the FIRE movement, those who are trying to you know, do everything they can to retire early, and they tend to focus a lot on things like in, index funds to do so. Mm -hmm. Now that we are heading towards a recession, do you think index funds make sense? Great question, and we'll answer that off air. Appreciate you calling in. All right, Mr. George, uh, share your thoughts on that one. I got a thought. Go ahead, share your thoughts on that. Well, when she's talking about an index fund, I I would assume that she's kind of referring to the S&P or something that, that tracks that. It, it, I could be wrong there, of mm -hmm. course, but assuming that she's talking about that, uh, I don't like that, not necessarily because of the index fund itself, although I, I have problems with, with the way ETFs are structured. Uh, that's a whole other topic. But uh, it's just the underlying assets. Mm -hmm. uh, my first rule of investing is you've got to buy things when they're cheap and sell them when they're expensive. And there's absolutely nothing about the stock market right now that is cheap. So you're buying at all-time highs. I mean, just it's it's the so it's the same thing that we learn when we're in first grade, and and you learn investing, and your mom tells you, oh, you buy low and sell high. Mm -hmm. That's it. Okay, mm -hmm. so you, you got to buy low and sell high. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing low about the S and P. So th that would be my biggest concern, especially if you're thinking, okay, what should I invest in that's like recession proof. That, that is definitely not the stock market. Now, of course, uh, if, if that's your only option, there are stocks that typically do a lot better, such as cigarettes, alcohol, um, Coca-Cola. But it's going to do a lot better than Tesla, I can tell you that, in, in a recession. Mm -hmm. But um, I just, uh, I, again, I, I just don't like to, to buy high and try to sell higher. Yeah. And my thing is, unless you actually know what you're doing and you're skilled, whether it be in, in investing of that magnitude or whatever it is you're doing, 
any way it goes, there's going to be risk. And so make sure you're 100% confident and comfortable. You know what you're doing. Just don't be following, you know, as you say, the financial freedom movement. Because, I mean, I, I question all that financial freedom stuff because if yeah. you're basing your financial freedom based upon a currency that is going to be, at the end of the day, the dollar is going to have its day of reckoning. You're not going to be as free as you think you are. So strategize. Know exactly what you're going to do. Don't follow the herd. Do what works best for you. And my thing is, unless you know what you're doing, don't go out here chasing profits and chasing gains that will... In, in hopes of getting rich through this don't look to profit through this look to preserve your wealth and the safest and easiest way is just to stick to what is has been proven historically which i would imagine is george would agree is, is meadows meadows is the anchor of everything formulate your strategy according to what you know what you're doing if you don't sit on the sideline and just get heavy as i, I like to say so george we're gonna do one more call and then i'm gonna let you go because i know it's late Okay. And so uh, let me see. I missed that call. So one more call, and then we'll let Mr. George Gammon go. So we'll take this call. This person's been trying to call him a couple couple times. Okay. So last question for the evening. Hello. Uh, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Hi, this is Kevin from Seattle. Kevin from Seattle. What's on your mind tonight, my friend? Thanks for calling in. Uh, no problem. Hey, I'm a big fan of both of you. Uh, George, I've been obsessed with your videos since you came out. I really appreciate all your hard work every day and you and your staff. Thank, thank you for watching. Uh, my question any of you um are you guys uh familiar with uranium as far as an investment and if you have any uh, thoughts on uranium investment all right we'll answer that question off air is that all you have for tonight yeah it is thank you all right thank you mr gammon uranium yes it's cheap yeah it's, it's very cheap and so there's there's good reason that it's cheap but if you look at the long term especially with the green movement and uh, and I you know I'm not saying that's good or bad, but if that's the direction the world's going, at the end of the day, the 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 greenest realistic technology out there for energy is, is actually nuclear. Mm -hmm. So um, it, you know, especially too with if we go to electric vehicles, and I, I won't go down a rabbit hole too much, but if we go that path, that is more bullish for uranium. It, it's super cheap, but let me be clear. I do not see that as an investment. Mm -hmm. To me, that is a 100% speculation. And I define a speculation by something that you're buying in hopes that it'll go up in value or, or down if you're shorting. An investment to me is something that you buy because it pays you to own it. Mm -hmm. So I, I would not, and, and why I compartmentalize like that, because then I take it a step further and, and, and define what portion of my portfolio I want allocated to investments and what portion I want allocated to speculation. And for me personally, at the max, it's only about 10% of my entire portfolio that I would allocate to something that I'm buying for the sole purpose of it hopefully going up. Yeah, good point. So as you got as you're talking, I got uranium on the screen, and it's uh yeah interesting. So I personally don't follow it myself. I, I don't know much about it. I remember I had uh, Mr. Rick Rule on a while back, and he was extremely excited. And so he's a different type of investor. So he has you know some 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 information that most people don't. So he's really 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 bullish on uranium. So according yeah. to him, but yeah, and I would point out that Rick himself would define him would would uh, define his in well would define his strategy as speculation mm -hmm. yeah. yeah i don't think so would doug casey yeah and speculators i don't think they define that as as investment 
Yeah, I agree. All right, so with that being the case, it's been about 48 minutes, George. I want to respect the rest of your night and let you do you. So everybody's been great. i uh, got a couple more questions there. So we'll, producer George, have to have you on another time and uh, get some more thoughts and questions. People seem to, to, to have a lot of good information or a lot of things to get off you, to, to pick your brain with. So I appreciate you taking time to join us here on RTD Live Talk. Uh, any last thoughts, you know, for those that may not know who you are, I want to point it back your way so they'll, you know, get in tune with everything you got going on. Sure. If you want to find me, you can just go to my YouTube channel. It's just my name, which is George, typical spelling, last name Gammon, G-A-M-M-O-N. Or I'm on Twitter, but uh, I've just got much more content on YouTube. So that's where I'd start. All right. So everybody's been great hanging out uh, today. I appreciate Mr. Gammon joining us. And so with that being the case, we're going to dial back. If you enjoyed this, feel free to share this video so more people can come across this information. This is, you know, what I consider to be real news outside of the fake stuff that we get from mainstream. And then also, if you guys have any questions or whatnot, definitely all the resources you need are below. And look forward to bringing you more RT Life news, talks, and everything else in between. Be blessed, be safe, and I'll see you guys later. Hey there, sorry for this interruption, but I wanted to bring something to your attention. If you've been enjoying this live stream, why don't you partner with me and be a support to the channel via Patreon membership for just a minimum of $5 a month. All you have to do is scroll down beneath this video here, click the Patreon link, then consider donating as little as $5 a month towards the channel. A little bit of crumbs can go a long way, and I appreciate your support. Now, let's get back to this live stream.